This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. If uh, you can find a seat, please. Find a place to sit down and... uh... As you do, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, We're in a series on the topic of spiritual gifts. And uh, so we've been working our way, we're going to work our way through chapters 12, 13, and 14 in this series. And we started in chapter 1, and uh, just giving some background. Today, I'm going to work uh, through the rest of 1 Corinthians 12. So we're going to finish this chapter today. And uh, just to remind you where we were, two weeks ago we talked about the purpose of spiritual gifts, a purpose of the work of the Spirit. And we looked at how Paul said, look, a real work of the Spirit will glorify Jesus Christ. A real work of the Spirit, when the Spirit's active at work in the church, the result will be a declaration that Jesus is Lord. There'll be attention placed on Jesus and his work. So we talked about that. And then we kind of talked last week about the nature of spiritual gifts, that there are a variety of gifts. The Corinthians seem to have been focused on a very short list, and at the top of that list was the gift of speaking in tongues. Um, but Paul is correcting them and saying there's a variety of gifts but they're all the one and the same spirit. So God works and gives a breadth of, and variety uh, in gifts. And so we talked about that last week, and we ran through a list of gifts. And I told you more about what I don't know about those gifts than what I do know about them. So that was a, you want to go download that message right away and find out, uh, maybe you'll know less than you currently do. But anyway, I'm kind of halfway joking. I was just careful on some of them uh, and tried not to say more than the Bible says about them. And uh, this week, we're going to look at a passage where Paul takes all of that material and presses it into a really vivid living illustration about what he means. So let's look in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read the rest of the chapter. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of be of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, 
that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage of scripture and the truth that's revealed in it. And I just pray today that you would, that you would speak to us through your scripture, the God-breathed word. Lord, I pray right now, I just want to ask that you'd give me strength <clears throat> and that you'd enable me to communicate your truth to the church here today. And I pray that you would help us to all hear what the Spirit is saying to us from this passage. And I pray that you would bring about a life change in our individual lives and in our church body as we live and act and serve and operate according to your plan for the church seen in these verses. So we invite you, Lord, to have your way in the minutes that remain, speak to us, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's the first point Paul makes. It's kind of an overarching point in the whole passage, and that is this, that there is one body but many parts. He uses the word member sometimes, one body but many members. Or in verse 20, he says, there are many parts yet one body. One body and many Parts. That's the kind of opening that he opens up with in verse 12, and he's going to explain that through this analogy of the human body. But before he starts talking about the human body, what he does is he makes kind of a theological point to lead into it. And he says this in verse 13, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So he is talking about something that's happened in their past, and he's talking about this idea of being baptized, which literally means to be immersed, to be plunged in, to be dipped, to be overwhelmed, this kind of an idea. So he's saying, we were all, uh, you know, we're one body, many parts, and here's the one body, here's what we have in common. We were all immersed in the Holy Spirit into the one body, the body of Christ, the church. We were immersed into the Spirit. And then he uses a similar parallel phrase, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So he's basically saying that we've all experienced the work of the spirit. We've all been baptized in the spirit at our conversion. Um, we were all immersed in the spirit. We're all made to drink of the spirit. We are all a people of the spirit. Now, we could talk about after conversion being filled with the Spirit later. That's a different message and different text for a different day. But what he's saying here is he's using this as a point of commonality and saying, we've all experienced the same thing, Corinthians. Um, we're one body, and how do we know that? We've all tasted the Spirit. We've all been baptized in the Spirit. We've all experienced the Spirit. Now, we used to be Jew or Greek, slave or free, he says, but now we're just not Jew or Greek, slave or free. That's not our primary identity. Our identity is now we're people of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we're part of the church, which is the people of the Spirit together. So we have this all in common. If you've been around church for any length of time, 
you will realize that it is more than a little ironic that this very idea is used to separate people a lot of times. Sometimes there's ideas, some have the spirit and some don't. So there's like the really spirit Christians and spirit baptized, spirit filled, spirit anointed Christians, and then there's all the rest that aren't. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying the exact opposite. He's saying we've all, we all were made to drink one spirit. We were all in one spirit immersed. He's saying this is the point, this is the great point of equalization. This is what places us all on level ground together. This is what dictates that we are all in this together. We're not the spiritual Christians and the loser Christians. The hyper-spiritual, godly Christians and just the regular, boring, natural, just like everybody in the world Christians. No, we're all people of the Spirit, is what he says. So let's start there. We are one body with many parts, but what we have in common is that we have all been immersed in the Spirit. We've all been made to drink of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in all of us. And then this is the next point he makes. One body, many parts. And then he goes on to say that every part is needed. Verses 14 through 20 really capture this idea. One body, many parts. 14 through 20, every part is needed. It seems as we get to 14, chapter 14, this will be more obvious. It seems that the Corinthians have um, highlighted certain gifts, and particularly the gift of tongues. And... So there is sort of a pecking order. There's sort of a ranking. There's sort of what's most spiritual. There's sort of a spiritual ideal. And this can happen in any church. This can happen in our church. This, this frequently happens in, in many churches. It could happen here. Is that a certain gift or a certain couple of gifts is elevated. Now here the gift of tongues isn't elevated, but there might be some other gifts that are elevated here. A certain gift is elevated, or a certain profile of what it means to be spiritual. So this is what a really spiritual person looks like. Here's how they interact with the culture. We could come up with a list. Here's how they interact with the world. Here's what they think about this. Here's what they, here's their political affiliation. We could come up with all kinds of stuff. And this is what a really spiritual person looks like. And here's what happens. When a church elevates a gift or a couple of gifts, and when the church elevates a certain profile, a narrow profile of what it means to be spiritual, then other people in the church look at that and say, I don't fit that. So I must not belong here. I must be less than spiritual. I don't have that gift. I don't fit that mold. I don't look like that family. I don't do exactly this. And so I must not belong. And that's what's happening in Corinth. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. What is happening in the church is that certain gifts, certain people are looking elsewhere, they're looking horizontally, looking at other gifts and making an assessment of their belonging. And he doesn't say tongues. He doesn't say the hand equals tongues here. I don't want to press that too much. But that could be the case in Corinth. That people are saying, okay, there's these certain spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, you know, and and Paul's going to add at the end of this chapter, oh yeah, there's helping, there's administration, they're all charismata, he uses the same word, they're all grace gifts, they're all charismatic gifts to Paul, to God, 
And, uh, but if you narrow a few, then certain people look and say, well, the foot says, if I'm not a hand, then I must not belong. Because there's a certain sense of what really matters. And the foot says, well, the hand must be what really matters. What's going on in a situation like this? Well, there may be problems with a hand. We'll get that to that in a minute. There may be some people that are looking down on others. Well, that's That comes next. But he starts with this. There may be certain gifts that compare themselves and then think less of themselves. There could be a tendency to envy other people's gifts. Now, the Corinthians, or in modern day, the leaders in our church, would be responsible if we're highlighting a certain gift so that other people are tempted to think less of themselves. That That is a problem with leadership. But there's also a responsibility for the foot here that he goes after. And, and the foot must be comparing itself to the hand and feeling inferior. Feeling inferior. I mean, I'm just a foot. Everybody likes the hand. Let's give them a hand. You don't give them a foot. Let's greet one another with a sh- Let me shake your foot. You don't do that. <laughs> Foot me that glass. No, you hand me that glass. I mean, the hand gets all this talked about all the time. All the analogies are with the hand. What is the foot? The hand's open and saying the foot's covered up. And and so there could be this sort of sense that one could look at another and covet, envy, desire. We can experience that sort of thing with gifts. I mean, we've been talking about gifts is what the passage is on. You know, I, I wish that I could teach like so-and-so you know i wish i was good at so-and-so like that person is they have the gift of helps they can practically help people i can't do anything i don't even know how to help people so people are always calling them because they have the ability to help or you know what Everyone's drawn to her. When they have a problem, they go talk to her because she has words of wisdom, words of knowledge. She has good counsel. Uh, she has a merciful heart. And so people are just drawn to her. I wish people would come to me. Nobody comes to me asking for spiritual counsel. The only thing they come to me and ask, could you help stack chairs? That's like the only request I get. We need some chairs stacked. How about you? I'm a chair stacker. And I really wish I was a teacher. I really wish I was a counselor. I wish, really wish I had a gift of hospitality. I don't even know what to do. People don't want, I don't know how to make people comfortable when they come over. I'm not sought after. My gifts aren't like that person's. I'm not a leader. I don't have the gift of administration. Everything's a wreck. I would never be asked to organize anything because I can't organize myself. It's amazing that I got dressed and made it here within the first 15 minutes of the service today. I don't know how to structure things. And so I never get asked to be put in charge of organizing something. I don't have those gifts. I wish I had that person's gift. And so the thing is can be that we can begin to look horizontally instead of looking vertically. Instead of looking vertically, look at verse 18. God, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body. When we look and compare our gifts, when we're comparing our gifts, we're in dangerous ground right away. Because the tendency is to think ourselves less or to think ourselves better. So when we're looking horizontally and comparing, we're already in a minefield of trouble. But if we look vertically and say, God, you have set the gifts, you have arranged the gifts in the body, 
That is the key to beginning to having this point of view, not being the foot looking up to the hand, but being the foot looking to God, the Lord of the body, and saying, you made me a foot in this case. That's where freedom comes. Freedom comes when I'm freed of envy and coveting because I have a Godward view. Look at the conclusion that the foot draws, verse uh, 15. Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong. So there's certain temptations to look at others and assume that I don't have a place because I don't belong. Because I'm not that. Because I don't have that gift. I don't have that ability. See, one of the challenges here, again, is that the foot is looking in the wrong place. The foot is not walking around and holding up the body and saying, uh, we're going to get to point from point A to point B because I'm moving. The foot isn't moving. The foot is comparing. So the foot isn't holding everything up. The foot isn't moving forward. The foot is thinking, I'm not a hand, so I just don't belong. When actually moving and holding up the body is a very responsible task, But compared to the hand, it could be, I'd rather have that task. I'd rather make the contribution that the hand makes. I just don't belong. Can you relate to that? I mean, have you ever felt like you just don't play an important part in the church? My part is just, it doesn't matter. Are you tentative? Maybe you're hesitant because you feel like your gifting isn't needed. Someone else's is. If I don't show up, it won't even matter. They'll find somebody else to stack the chairs. They'll find somebody else. Because I don't belong. I don't matter. One of the problems with looking horizontally and comparing ourselves to other people's gifts is that it is paralyzing. It is paralyzing. It's parallel. There is, it just stops us. It robs us from the freedom that comes from grace. These are called gr- literally grace gifts. Gifts are things that God has provided. And when I'm comparing others' gifts to my own and I'm not looking to the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm losing the freedom. Grace was meant to set me free. Gifts were meant to give me to play my part with freedom and joy and fruitfulness in the body. Yet when I'm looking at others, instead of what God has provided for me to do, it saps the fruitfulness out of my life. It shows that I'm not ultimately concerned for God's design. The foot in the illustration is not thinking about God's design. God has placed the parts in the body. The foot is not thinking about verse 7 of this chapter, the common good. Gifts are given for everybody's benefit. But the foot is not thinking about everybody's benefit in this metaphor, this analogy. The foot is not thinking about God putting everything in place. The foot is thinking about how do I rank or how do I measure against someone else? And so that is a, there's a lack of life in that, a lack of freedom that the Holy Spirit brings. As we talked last week about the gifts and in this, this whole section, this whole series on the gifts, there's a freedom that the Holy Spirit intends to give. And that's lost when we don't look to God, but we look to someone else. Now, Paul makes the point that you can't think this and not be a part of the body. You can think, well, I'm not a hand. I don't know it belongs to the body. He says, that's not true. 
It says in verse 16, that doesn't make us any less a part of the body. But in 17 and 18, he shows, look at what it would be like if there weren't different gifts. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying if 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 the uh, you know if the ear wants to be an eye and everybody wants to be an eye, then if everybody was an eye and everybody had their wish, we wouldn't have a body. We'd have an eye. This is not healthy. I, I don't know if he's seeking to be humorous here, but uh, but this is this is grotesque. If we all walk in here today and if we all have a body and everybody here's got a body and various functioning parts and some of us are getting older and we're not all functioning like we used to, but we're all here and there's entire bodies. If out of the back door, a huge five foot eyeball rolls in here, that is not good. That is a monstrosity comes rolling in here in the middle, getting on the front row. I see you. I mean, that is scary. That is like a low grade horror movie. That is not, you wouldn't say, that's wonderful. Paul would say a church that is all eyeballs is grotesque. It's not healthy. It's not healthy to be a teaching church. We teach and teach and all we do is teach. And the godliest are the teachers. We're all about teaching. Or evangelism. We don't build people up. We just reach the lost. Evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. Every sermon, every song, everything's evangelism. That's not healthy. We're all about mercy. That's what we build on. That's what we talk about. That's what we're all about mercy. Or we're all about more supernatural gifts, prophetic gifts, healing gifts. That's what we focus on. And when something like that happens, that's when we know the Holy Spirit is really present. Because there was a prophecy and that's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's what we honor and that's what we esteem. And that's what we hold up. That's an eyeball church. That's not a healthy body. And that's where the Corinthians are going. And so he's using this thing. And he said, look, if you don't, if you don't have different parts, if everybody was an eyeball, he says, where would their, uh, where would their sense of smell be? It's, it's not healthy. If everyone had a prophetic gift, where's the gift of mercy? That's what he's saying. If everybody's a teacher, where's the gift of administration? These are the points that he is making here. We don't want to be just about one thing. And when you are about one thing or primarily about one thing, then what happens is you attract other eyeballs. When we, when I'm an eyeball and we're profiling eyeballs and eyeballs all over the city and the eyeball ministry, this, that, and the other, then what happens is people invite their friends that are eyeballs because you'll like this church. It's an eyeball church. You're an eyeball church. You're going to love this church. You're going to really like this. But, uh, and then somebody just shows up and joins. They happen to be an ear that they feel like I don't belong here. There's not a role. There's not a function. I'm not valued. I'm not, my gifts aren't welcomed because I don't fit the narrow definition of spirituality. I don't fit the narrow definition of what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to be at work. I felt in praying for this message that the Lord wanted to encourage some people in our church. You know, Paul says here that the, that the, the hand can't say, 
uh, I'm not a part of the body. I don't, I don't belong because the hand, I'm sorry, the foot can't say because I'm not a hand. I do not belong. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, one body. So there's this temptation, this idea that come to us. I don't belong. And it might be meaningful. I hope it would for me to tell you, you belong. And it might be meaningful, I hope it would, if you could sit around in your community group and everybody could say you belong. But here's what you really need to hear, not your community group and me. Today, there's some of us that feel like I don't belong, and you need to hear God himself say to you, you belong, because that's what this text says. You belong. And here's what belonging means. It means that Jesus Christ gave his life for you. That Jesus hung on a cross and bled and died in your place. That because of his extravagant, indescribable love for you, he died in your place. He absorbed the judgment, the wrath of God that was due you and me for our sins. Jesus died in our place, pouring out himself, sacrificing himself, motivated by the glory of the Father and love for us. He gave his life for us. He was buried. And on the third day, he burst out of the tomb alive, defeating the power of sin and death. And then he rose to the right hand of the Father and poured out his spirit so that those who shared his gospel and preached his gospel, he empowered that with his spirit so that one day you heard the gospel and he grabbed your heart and he took your dark, dead heart and gave it life. And applied the sacrifice and the resurrection power of his son to you and put you in his body so that you belong. He didn't just do this personal interaction between you and God so that everything's okay with you. He did that and that's glorious, but he did this other thing. He not only reconciled you vertically, but horizontally, he puts you in his body and calls you to be a part of a church. And if you're here, member of Grace Church, this is your church. And so he put you here. He made you a part of the body. He immersed you in his spirit. He gave you his spirit. He has given you gifts already, and he may give you other gifts. I pray he gives us all other gifts, things that we haven't experienced before that he would give us. So he may give you other gifts, but he's for sure given you something, a part to play for his glory, for the common good, to please him as one set in the body. And it does not matter what anybody thinks about your belonging. Frankly, it does not matter if you think you belong because God says you belong and that's the truth. And I believe God wants to encourage some of us to start believing what he has said about us. He's made us a part of the body. So I want to ask you this morning, have you been comparing your gifts or using your gifts? Comparing your gifts or using your gifts. The difference is contributing to a healthy body versus contributing to the atrophy of a body or part of the body. Have you considered the role that God's called you to play? Now, there's roles to play on a Sunday morning. There's gifts that are used here. We're by no means some kind of big church or huge church or anything, certainly not by Dallas standards, but we're not just some kind of a mega church deal. But we're big enough that you can slip in here 
as a functioning member of the church, you could slip in here and out of here on a Sunday morning and nobody would even know, you know, little contribution. That, that can happen in a church. And that's one reason we have small groups, because that can't happen in a small group if it's really small. Um, in a smaller group, every there's, there's opportunity for everyone to participate at a different level. So with regard to your small group, have you considered what is God's will for you? How has he gifted you and placed you there? How has he enabled you to serve there? Do you ever realize that others need your contribution? I'm not saying that in a man-centered way. Like if you don't show up and do your part, oh, poor Jesus, he's not going to be able to do anything without you. Don't let Jesus down. I'm not saying that. God can do whatever he wants, and he works in spite of me, in spite of you frequently. However, if this illustration means anything, if this analogy means anything, it means this that every part is needed, really needed, that God wants to do something in your life with other believers. God's given you a contribution to make. God's designed you, fashioned you, empowered you to make a contribution to build up his church and to serve other people. Have you been envious of someone else's gifts? Have you minimized your own gifts? You know, if so, there's great hope. If you've minimized your, gift, minimized your gifts, if you've coveted someone else, there's really a lot of hope. You can walk out of here today a different person, not living that way. You, you can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to see, uh, see you and what you've done, and I want to rest in who you've made me, and I want to ask you to use me. I'm going to turn from comparing and looking horizontally. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, Lord, I want to, by your grace, repent. I want to turn away from evaluating myself along everybody else. I want to evaluate myself on who you've made me to be. You've given me grace. You've forgiven me. You've given me grace gifts. You want to use me. You love me. And I want to receive that. I want to receive your affirmation, and I want to receive the gifts that you've given me, and I want to use them for your glory. So, Lord, would you use me? I want to pray. I want to plan. I want to step out in faith. I want to lean forward. I want to be who you've called me to be. Lord, come, refresh me. You can turn and, and, and ask the Lord to do that and have a different, I believe you can have a different perspective. I believe I can have a different perspective. Doesn't mean we don't think the old way sometimes, but we don't have to, you don't have to live under that. Grace is freeing and that comparison is enslaving. It is enslaving to a standard that's not God's. So God wants to free us from that, I believe. Every part is needed and then this is what he communicates in 21 through 26. Every part is cared for. Every part is needed. One body, many parts. Every part is needed. Every part is to be cared for. The reason I say that is look down at verse 25. This is how he closes this paragraph. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, he's talking about a unity in the body that, that, we, that the, each part of the body is supposed to care for each other part. So he may be talking here a little bit, uh, not just about differing gifts, but differing people. It seems that in Corinth there was social, uh, there was problems with the social classes. In chapter 11 it says that when they had the Lord's Supper, that some people had plenty, the rich would come, they'd have a meal together. The rich would eat, they'd also drink and get drunk, and the poor would have nothing to eat. 
And so he's just, there's this class struggle, the haves and the have nots. It wasn't just spiritual gifts, the haves with the hyper spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, etc. So the haves spiritually, there's also the haves and have nots materially. But Paul says that every person is to be cared for. Every person in the church is to be cared for equally. Verse uh, 22, he says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. You can't, some parts of the body can't look down on others and say, we don't need you. So he starts with, no one's supposed to say, we don't belong because we're not them. And then he moves to, we don't need you. And he talks about two groups of people here, or two groups of gifts. The first is the weak. Look at what he says in verse 22. On the contrary, so the head can't look to the feet and say, I don't need you. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So he's saying there's certain parts of the body that you might assume aren't that strong. They're weak, but they're must-have. They're indispensable. They're necessary. Some commentators say this is probably referring, in the, in the, meta, in the analogy, it's probably referring to something like internal organs. You know, a heart, if you, I mean, I've never seen one live, I've just seen one on TV, but a heart's just kind of small and kind of slimy and, you know, uh, it, it just, you wouldn't look at a heart and, and, and say that is, that is the picture of strength. You might look at legs or something like that and say that's strength, but you might look at a heart and say that doesn't appear to be some powerful part of the body, yet it's internal, it's protected by a rib cage. And it may be sort of a weaker part of the body because you can't see it and you don't see its strength. But if it dies, you die. It's indispensable. The body cannot live without that weaker member. It is vital to the life of the human, just like it is. Certain, the weaker gifts are vital to the life of the church. The seemingly weak gifts, the seemingly weak people are indispensable to the life of the church. He then talks about unpresentable members. In in verse 23, he says, Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. What's he talking about? He's talking about something. He's using an analogy of the body. If the other one talked about the weak parts may have been internal organs, probably what he's talking about, unpresentable parts that need to be treated with modesty. He's probably referring to sexual organs there. And saying... You know, there's special attention that is paid to these parts because they're not presented and they must be covered modestly. And so there is an attention paid to them in order to cover them that you wouldn't pay to your hands or something that are just out in the open. Your hands are just your hands and that they just do what they do. But there's certain parts that are to be covered and not shown and treated with greater care because of the modesty. And he's saying there's some parts... There's some people, there's some gifts that are to be treated with great care, unlike the hands, which may not require the same kind of care. So what's the point? The point in both illustrations is that all parts, all gifts, all people are vital and are not to be excluded based on any standard of what's necessary and what's more important and adopting some kind of human reasoning or some kind of cultural design. The church is not to evaluate people as the world does and say, well, they're weak, they're hidden, they're unnecessary, 
The head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. There is no place for that in the body of Christ, just as there is no place for that in the human body as well. See, the question for some of us is not, have you compared yourself with others and minimized your gifts and maybe been envious of the gifts of others? The question for some of us is, have you looked at others, other people in the church, other gifts and said, I don't need you? Because that's equally harmful, and that's happening in Corinth, likely. That can happen anywhere. Verse 22, the, the, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they're indispensable. We cannot look at another part and think that it is unnecessary. God determines the gifts. God empowers the gifts. And here's the reality, that it is oftentimes gifts that could, and people that could appear weaker are gifts that are hidden that are like the heart, they're the lifebeat of the church. The, the lifebeat of the church is often found not on this stage, not with lights, not plugging in an instrument. I'll give you an example. Now, in the gift list, this isn't listed as a particular gift, but I think we could all agree that this is something that the Lord gives some people uh, an extra grace in, and I think we could call it a gift, and that would be intercessory prayer. That would be intercessory prayer. There are plenty of people, and I know some in this church, and there's plenty that I don't know, that pray in secret. They're never going to be standing right here. They're never going to be in a role that is public. But their prayer and God's answer to that prayer is the reason much happens that happens in the life of a church and in the life of this church. And you pull out the intercessors and you see what happens in a church. Show, show me a church that has anybody getting saved, anybody loving Jesus, anybody maturing and growing and developing in their faith, anybody sharing the gospel, anybody sacrificing for other members of the body of Christ, anybody caring, anybody extending mercy, where, where life is happening. Show me a church where the life of the Spirit is happening in some measure and guaranteed behind the scenes there are people praying. There are people praying. It's not a hidden gift. I mean, it is a hidden gift. It's not a known gift. But it's a, something, it's a gift that God uses and works through. He goes on to say, he talks about this organic unity within the church. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The head caring for the feet, the eye caring for the ear, the hand caring for the feet, every part caring for one another. The weaker parts being cared for, the hidden parts being cared for. And then he says this, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He's saying there's such to be such a unity in the body. It's not the spiritual haves and the spiritual have-nots. It's not the material haves and the material have-nots. Here's how it's supposed to work, he says, that if someone is suffering, everybody's affected by that. Now, again, we're not a megachurch, but we're big enough that not everybody knows everyone. And uh, so while this may be spiritually true, I think it's practically worked out in a smaller context. And that's, again, why we do small groups, because that's where these things can be lived out and walked out together, where everyone is known in that circle. You, you can't know every hundreds of people and all the details of their life, even with Facebook. You can't know everything about everybody. You're not designed to know everybody, thing about everybody. But you can connect with a smaller group of people. And so when one person hurts, 
we're all to hurt. If there are people in the group or people in the church who feel I don't belong, that's everybody's concern. If there are those who are discouraged and feel like they can't go on, if there's those who are suffering, if there's those who are weak, that's all of our concern. That's not, well, too bad for you. That's all of our concern because we're a body. Have you ever had a pain in your body in a hidden spot and seen how that can affect you? I mean, you ever had a tooth, like a really bad toothache or something? Nobody can see it. I mean, I guess unless your front tooth's knocked out or whatever, but nobody sees that. And so you walk in, you may look fine, but you are dying because something back here is hurting. Or you had a splitting headache. You can't see that. I can't see into your brain and go, oh, wow, well, look at that pain or the nerves or whatever. I don't even know what causes a headache. But if you've got a bad headache, it's not obvious. But your whole body, if you've ever had a, you know, if not migraine level, close to that type of a headache, everything is affected. The foot is affected because you're in bed not walking around. Everything is affected by a hidden pain. We all suffer. Together, that's his idea. It's organic. There's a connectedness. There's a solidarity. And it goes the other way, too. If someone, if someone um, is honored, we all rejoice together. So if someone is using their gifts, the blessing of God is in someone's life. The Lord is working through someone. They're, they're experiencing favor uh, in numbers of ways in their life from God. Then what, what the Bible here says is that I don't envy their gifts or I don't envy their situation, but I get to rejoice with them in it because we're connected. So when someone suffers, we all suffer. When someone rejoices, we all celebrate together when someone is honored. It's a, it's a wonderful design that God has for the body. All the gifts together. It's amazing to me to close. We don't have time to really dig into this last section, but he's listing things like apostles, the founders of the church, the original apostles, those who saw Jesus. He's listing them with people who have a gift of helping. So Paul, who goes to the third heaven and has a vision of Jesus, is in a gift list with the guy who's handy and can fix your leaky, uh, leaky sink, but he's doing it as a gift because he wants to serve others in the body. He's listing prophets, people who are speaking what God puts on their heart. That, that, that's in the same list as administration. That's on there with spreadsheets for the glory of God done, you know, animated by the Spirit to serve others in the church, that sort of thing. They're listed together. There is this integrity, this unity this lack of divisiveness that he is speaking about here. And when that happens, not only is God honored because people are using their gifts, not only is the church built up, verse 7, for the common good, but that's a witness to the world as well. Because this does not happen in the culture. The culture is gather the eyeballs. I want to be with people that look like me, think like me, smell like me, have the same habits, the same interests, the same things they're passionate about, so that we can be together and put our eyeballs all together and just be together in agreement. That's the way the culture works. But when you say, I'm an eyeball, so I'm looking for some feet and some hands and some knees. I don't need to be around all the eyeballs. I'm looking for people that think differently, that have gifts different than mine, so that we can work together for the glory of God. I'm looking to be around some people that are at it higher or lower on the socioeconomic scale than me. I'm looking to be some people that know more about the Bible and less about the Bible than me. I'm looking to be around some people that are farther in their maturity with Christ and some that are newer 
in Christ. I'm looking to be around some people that have different, that are of different race, ethnicity, that have, that like different music than I do, that have different, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not, I'm an eyeball, I'm not looking for eyeballs. I'm feet, I'm not looking for all the feet. I'm looking to be a part of a body, not a monstrosity. And so when people who are different begin to join together for the glory of God, centering around the gospel, working out the inevitable differences that come up, but doing that for the glory of God, and someone comes in and experiences that, they say, oh, this is different. When the wealthy person and the poor person are together, when the analytical teaching line upon line guy is eager to be around the prophetic, sensitive, the Holy Spirit laid this on my heart guy, when those people say, I need you, when the prophetic guy needs the teacher guy, and when teacher guy needs the prophetic guy and they want to be together, when the prophetic guy needs the mercy person and the mercy, when all of that kind of stuff is happening, when the administrative bean counter wants to be around the person that has the gift of generosity, Romans 12, and the give it away person versus the organizing and counted up person need one another in the church and work together to promote the glory of God. See, that the world doesn't know anything about that kind of people who are different, working together, loving one another, putting aside differences for the glory of God. The person who says, I just don't belong, I would argue not only is that person perhaps indispensable, uh, that's the most necessary person in the room. Last week, we welcomed a bunch of new members. They stood up here. We applauded. We prayed. Wonderful. Loved it. Loved it. I love that. It's one of the highlights that we get to welcome new people in the church. But as a pastor, I also get to be on the other end of that. I also do exit interviews with people when they're leaving the church. And uh, there are good reasons to leave a church. Death. That's a joke. That is a joke. No, there's lots of very good reasons to leave a church. God calls people to be in other fellowships. God call, don't say that I said, I, that was a joke. I don't say at my church, they said, you cannot get out till you die. I do not believe that. People should leave the church at various times, and we will be glad to help you to, to do that if you feel called somewhere else. But um, here, here's something that grieves my heart, and I'm supportive when people want to leave, but here's something that grieves my heart when I have this conversation with someone. We're going to leave the church, okay? Um, you know, is there a doctrinal, was there something concerning? Did we do something to offend you? No, no, we're not offended. Don't have a doctrinal difference. Uh, is there something methodological? Is there some practice that's grading on you, that's hindering you? No, is there something the leader, something we can grow in? No, 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 that. Here's why I'm leaving. I don't fit. I feel like I don't fit. I look around and I feel like I don't fit. So I'm going to go to a church where I think people think like I am, look like I, they're my age, they're my interests, they're my gifts. They're my, so I'm going to go to a place where I feel like, uh, you know, people here are all alike, and I don't fit. So I'm going to go somewhere where I do fit. When I hear that, I, I want to, I don't do this because it would appear manipulative, but I want to get on my knees. I want to, like, hold their leg as they're walking out the door and say, please stay. We want you. And if it's true we're all alike, I'm happy to spare a few clones. Let them go elsewhere. But I would like you to stay because we are not trying to be an eyeball around here. And if we start losing feet because they don't feel like eyeballs, we're going to be a monstrosity and not a healthy body. Would you please stay? If we could get rid of a few people, would you stay? Would you please stay? 
And I don't ever say that. I, I, I think it, but I can't say that because how would you like it if you were coming to say goodbye and some guy's in a puddle of tears hanging onto your leg? It's, this, this is really sick. So I don't do that. But that's what I feel like. Those are the people that, that we want. We don't want everybody just alike because that's not what the Bible has. That's not, that's not what the Lord is building. The Lord is building a variety of people, a variety of gifts together. That is key to glorifying the Lord. That is key to building up for the common good. And I think that is key to reaching the lost, to being a testimony of people who are different joined together. And there are good reasons to leave. There are doctrinal differences. You say, I can't live with this doctrine in my conscience. There are, I feel called to a ministry over here. There, there are very good reasons uh, to transfer to a, another church. We're moving, um, or there's a church down the street that I feel God's called us to be a part of. But I'm just not like everyone else. Let's work. Let's think about that one for just a minute. And maybe we need to adjust and make it more welcoming. And maybe we need to, maybe I bear fault there and the other leaders. Maybe we're highlighting certain gifts so you don't feel like you fit in and you don't know how to fit in. Well, that's bad on us and let us repent and change and help with that. But just because other people have a different gift, don't go where everybody has the same gift. Don't do that. But, but use your gift. Or if you do go somewhere, make sure there's a variety and you can contribute your different gift there. But look to contribute your different gift, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else, for the glory of God. I pray the Spirit would just work in our midst, that he would manifest himself through different gifts, that we would cherish and value weaker parts, as he talks about here, that that we would cherish and value the eyes, the head, the feet, the knees, every part, that we wouldn't rank and we wouldn't idolize and we wouldn't try to... Uh, try to be all about that gift or that person's profile. That's the spiritual person. That's the, that's the spiritual this, that, or that. But we'd say, Lord, the Holy Spirit is the spiritual person. Now, would you, Holy Spirit, express yourself through us and the people you've made us to be in the varieties of gifts, as we talked about last week, as the different parts of the body for your glory. We want to be healthy. And this is biblical health, according to 1 Corinthians 12. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.